Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi on this Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day. By Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, don't forget Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land and all that goes along with it for over 100 years. So if you need to build a house in the country, you're a farmer with equipment needs, need to buy a new piece of property, maybe refinance an existing loan, or get production loans, crop loans, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Happy Wednesday. This feels like a uh, a very JT show headline, but it's so, like, I mean, you want to write a tweet that grabs somebody's attention and get me to click on the link? Here it is. From WREG News Channel 3 in Memphis. We're not going to talk about this. I'm just going to read it to you because I read it and went, wow. Lawmakers in Alabama have passed a bill that would require the chemical castration of people convicted of a sex crime against a child under the age of 13. Whoa. You know what they call that? Justice. Smart? It's kind of a little indie justice there, isn't it? Yeah, I'm fine with it. I do wonder if it's anything like the uh, the death penalty deal where, like, like, surely there doesn't have to be, like, any witnesses present or anything. <laughs> Jeez. What? I, I, I maybe a doctor's word will probably be good enough in that case, I think. That's yeah, what I'm uh, okay. I'll, uh, I'm just going to leave that there. I just uh, saw that headline and kind of did a double take when I read it. Uh, glad to have you along. No more uh, of that this afternoon. It is Sports Talk Mississippi. We're now three days away from regional play beginning for Mississippi State in Starkville and for Ole Miss in Fayetteville. A bunch of the regionals, four of them get, uh, I'm sorry, super regionals. Uh, get started uh, on Friday, so just two days away. Got a bunch for you this afternoon. Mike Bianco will join us in the 5 o'clock hour on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll also talk with John Harris from HoustonTexans.com, talk some football with him. We're going to get into a bunch of football this afternoon. A um, couple of specific topics. What about Matt Luke this off season? How would you grade kind of the moves that he's made and all that's happened since the Egg Bowl. So post-Egg Bowl uh, through the the start of summer for Matt Luke. Kind of an interesting conversation there. And Mississippi State's offense, going to rely on some transfers. It's been some key positions, especially on the offensive side of the ball. We'll uh, get into that a little bit this afternoon. Baseball draft continues. We've got some audio from uh, some Mississippi State guys from earlier in the day on the baseball front. And a whole bunch more. Hey, Dad, what's up? Not a whole lot today here in Starkville. Like I said, like you mentioned a second ago, we uh, we got to talk to Coach Lamontis and some of the players today. 
And uh, beyond that, you know, we're just we're getting ready for a super regional weekend that is almost definitely going to be affected by weather. Yeah. Looks like it's going to be that way a lot of places. Yeah, I mean, it's summer. You, know, you, get, you get the storms here in the south especially. Yeah, and it almost it almost feels like early part of the summer you get more of that more of that than you get in July and, and August. Yeah, July um, is just all about irrelenting heat. Yeah. Fayetteville looks clear all weekend. Oh, does it? Well, a little bit on Saturday, Sunday and Monday look clear. Well, that's good Aren't news. Aren't you just the bee's knees, Rippy? Um Louisville looks okay. I was checking out the forecast there for uh, earlier. Chance of thunderstorms, but like Afternoon and nighttime thunderstorms, so maybe we'll get through it uh, uh, there as well. Baton Rouge does not look good. Starkville doesn't look great. Um, Nashville doesn't look great. So, so kind of deep south, southeast, going to deal with weather this weekend. So uh, maybe some long games, maybe some delays, maybe some uh, start times that get pushed back or potentially pushed forward. I, I don't know. Uh, we'll we'll see how it uh, how it all shakes out. What kind of mood were the uh, uh, was the team in? Coaches in in Starkville today? Are they are they happy? Are they jovial? Is it all business? Where, where are they right now? Uh, I thought they were they were very loose. To be honest with you, you know they 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 answered all the question questions very freely. Uh, it seemed to be in a good mood. Of course, talking to Ethan Small, who you know knows he's about to have a couple million dollars in the bank account, probably uh, helped his mood just a little bit. But Jake Mangum was was very similar and very excited about his start. Uh, in New York, was joking around with with uh, my podcast partner Joel Coleman, who's a huge Braves fan, about how well you know the Braves had their three chances to get me. I'm done with them now. Evidently, he was a Braves fan uh, prior hmm. to yesterday. So uh, everybody in a, in a pretty good mood, loose practice. You know, the the five seconds of it we got to watch before they ushered us off the field. Everybody seemed to be in a pretty good mood and, and ready to play uh, this weekend. Did you ask Ethan Small like? What's the most money he's ever had in his checking account at one time in his life? I, did, I didn't go that far with the personal questions about the, him, but I'm going to assume I'll make a, an assumption here that that number is about that, that record is about to be broken for him. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I, I understand you don't want to dig into somebody's personal finances, but I mean, you're you're a college kid, and so yeah. even if you say, let I me, mean, let's just say you. You know, you're growing up in high school and you're cutting grass on the side and you're saving a little bit of money. I mean, even if he was like the the unique guy that said, "Well, you know, the the summer after my junior year in high school, I really worked a lot, and there was one point where I think my checking account got up to twelve thousand dollars." I just picked a random number, completely random number, whether the number is twelve hundred or twelve thousand or one hundred and twenty thousand, whatever it is. Right. Have you have you thought? about the fact that I'm probably not going to write you a check for the entire signing bonus, but there's a day in the very near future where you're going to have a six-digit balance in your checking account or, it's, it's, or, or, some, or some sort of savings account that's going to have a balance that has two commas in it. It really is something when you think about it in those terms, isn't it? That you just go from just regular guy, got, got some money in the bank, but... Not a whole ton, and now, bam! He and that kid from Georgia that got busted yesterday. Yeah, who? Oh, yeah the uh, the Ponzi scheme guy running it out of the fraternity house in, in Athens. I don't think he was spending his money all that wisely, though. Maybe oh, not. Probably not. It depends on who you ask. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I guess so. I guess the point is it didn't seem like, based on what they said he was spending the money on, uh, like he was stockpiling it for a rainy day just in case. Did you ask Ethan Small like when he got a big check what the first thing he was going to buy was? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't go into all that. Yeah. I feel yeah, like I feel down. like I've wasted an opportunity now, thanks to you. Though you feel like I feel I feel like I didn't do my job right. Oh no, I'm not saying you didn't do your job right. It's just the things that I'm interested in. Maybe uh, maybe first thing's always a new car, a new car, right? Like that when you get a large unexpected sum of money, you upgrade the vehicle. Uh, it's the easiest thing to do. You can do it in a day, and I don't know that. That to me seems like the first thing. If I ever got a large sum of money, which is not going to happen, but if it did, yeah. I'd go get a new car. First All right, thing. Bork, Borky. Let, let's say you uh, you get a job where you get an unbelievable signing bonus. Like you, you're, they, they're going to pay you a good salary, but you get a a million dollar signing bonus after taxes, and you decide you're going to go the new car route. What are you going to buy? Am I taking over for Mike Francesa? Um, some kind of Land Rover, some big old Land Rover. Okay. Something that I can... I mean, I still uh, like like to take my dog places and stuff like that. And I always watch those commercials and think I would move to like the Pacific Northwest and go hiking all the time. So I would need some space, some room <laughs> for some kayaks or something. So yeah, yeah. it'd be a big like $150,000 SUV. Okay. Hey, Dad, you get a million dollar signing bonus, no strings attached. What's the first thing you're going to buy? See, I'm not going to buy... I, I guess I guess I am going to buy... I'm going to buy a plane ticket to Las Vegas. And a hotel. I'm gonna get a you know the top of the the win for a couple of days. Really? Yeah. You're just gonna go gamble and see how much money you can blow in 24 hours. Well, I'm not gonna give hours? it all away. No, I mean, I'll, but I'll take a, a a large chunk with me. Hey, yeah, it's funny. We were talking off air yesterday, and, and I don't think you were part of the conversation. None of the three of us, Rippy, Borky, or myself, have been to Vegas before. Really? You've been and you love it, right? Oh, it's fantastic. I like to gamble, though. I like to play poker. I like to roll craps. I like to eat, too, so there's that, too. There you go. You can accomplish all those things. Rippy, what would you do? Big big signing bonus? Like car-wise? I mean, just what? what's the first thing you would buy? Mm, I guess a house would take a while, so probably one of those things when you walk into Cash Saver that's like the 60-pack of Red Bull. <laughs> like 150 bucks. They have those? It's a lot. It's $150 for a 60 pack of Red Bull? Yeah, it'd probably last me a couple days. But I would, uh, I don't know. Probably a car. What kind of car? Something that would be like not me at all, just for the sake of it. Like big old jacked up truck so I can go like hunting, gathering, and stuff. <laughs> so you can go hunting and gathering? Yeah. I saw a Maybach on the square yesterday. Had a parking ticket on it. I don't know what that is. It's like a step above a Mercedes. Might have to look at that. Yeah. Tell you what else I saw online today. I saw a listing for a piece of land in Oxford that I didn't know existed. It was 325 acres of land that had a 125-acre lake on it. That is right up my alley. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Just getting started. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Got some good responses on the uh, C Spire text line on the what would you do if you got a great big fat signing bonus and uh, wanted to buy something uh, right away. You can text the show, C Spire text line 
excuse me, 4395, 601-879-4395. There was, um, the, the responses ranged. Somebody said they'd buy some Blue Delta jeans. Howland Starkville said hopefully he's not Tracy Morgan, who wrecked his $2 million Bugatti as soon as he drove it off the lot yesterday. He didn't exactly wreck it. Lady in a Honda CRV plowed into him in Midtown Manhattan. He was none too pleased either. In fact, he couldn't even open the door to his car, so he's just like standing up. He leaned over, pounded his fist on there. He said, um, he didn't use a nice word to refer to, but basically said, woman, get out the car. And then he's just kind of like looking around and goes, $2 million car, just bought it. That's rough. <laughs> Can you imagine buying a $2 million car that you had just gotten, just pulled off the lot? And somebody plows into the side of it? I can't imagine buying a $2 million car. Well, gotta, that's probably, that. yes. i got to get through that first. And then afterwards, gosh, that would be my luck, though. So, yeah. Barry and Laurel, nobody would pay their houses off? And I love Vegas, but our Mississippi Gulf Coast has better buffets. All right, Barry, thank you. <laughs> Jeff and Grenada suggest that he would buy hunting land. He says 1,000 acres. You buy a thousand acres for a million dollars, then you've done something. How much space is that? How much is space is a thousand acres? I mean, I don't have like the square footage handy, but it's a pretty good chunk of land. I'd guess it's about a thousand acres. Thank you, Borgie. Um, it's more than the size of the Ole Miss campus. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Jay says, "How much does Costa Rica cost?" <laughs> John in Oxford says, y'all can pay off my vet school loans. Matt in New Site says, muscle cars, duh. Dan in Charleston says, a 65 Mustang that's completely restored. Uh, a house in Pickwick, a lake house on Pickwick. Uh, Tim in Tupelo suggests that he would buy his own private island. And Richard in Wiggins says, uh, did anybody think about giving to the less fortunate? Jay might be on to something. I might look into buying Norman's K. Can you imagine, like, go the Firefest route? Just say you have an island owned by Pablo Escobar. And literally all you have to do is not say that that's who owned it, and you've got a tropical private island. Just don't say that. It's like Fight Club. You don't talk about Fight Club. Right. Yes. William in Cortland, with the quick math, he says one square mile is 640 acres. Okay, you got me halfway there. Yeah, okay. But two square miles does not equal 1,240, okay? Not exactly. Anyway, this guy says a thousand acres is almost two square miles. So there we go. Dustin in Cleveland's going with a uh, a beach house in Orange Beach. So uh, there you go. You you look perplexed by math all of a sudden. No, no, not that one. If you're going to do the beach house and you have that much money from a signing bonus, why would you not just go big and do Miami? Well, maybe because you like Orange Beach better. The beaches are better in our in on the. Gulf than they are in Miami. And less clutter. City beaches, I mean, they're all fun. Beaches are great. But city beaches are just so crowded all the time. Then buy a beach. Although the sand doesn't stick to you in uh, in Miami the way it does. Like the, uh, the, the sand on the Gulf kind of sticks to you. Is that backed up by science? Different composition of sand. Oh. And so, yes, I'm, I, I can't tell you what the science <laughs> is, but yes... I'm sure there's a scientist that explained to you why some sand sticks to you and some sand doesn't. I wasn't sure if that was like similar to uh, 
to the it never rains on opening day type of thing where you're just like oh don't be it. a jerk <laughs> like sand doesn't stick to you have you ever been to the beach destin orange beach yes rosemary anywhere down there yes you know how when you're in the sand you have to stop and like shower off as you're getting out so that it's not all over the place it's not like that at south beach just doesn't stick to you as much different composition of sand okay now you know thanks bill nye rarely rains on opening day and it's usually 70 degrees also as well the mud on the hey, reservoir I... will stain your feet for months yeah oh god yeah don't wear a white bathing suit at sardis lake just just a little uh fun fact for you there um hey look it, it, spare me the stick to sports uh, just spare it I want to do something before we really, um, b before we really dive in to the stuff this afternoon because today is a uh, it's a special day. Today is the 75th anniversary of D Day, and Borky, I really appreciate you sticking this in the rundown today. This is um, it's uh, the greatest military operation in the history of the world for for, for my money. There are others that might argue different invasions, different wars were different strategically. If you've never read, are any of you, are any of the three of you history guys, war history guys at all? I loved it when it was taught, but I can't tell you I've read a bunch of novels on it. But those were always my favorite classes in school and in college. Was anything dating to war history? Yeah, Borky just summed up exactly what I'm at, where I'm at as well. Yeah, um, three for three on that. There, there you go. Uh, Tim says June 6th is D-Day. Yes, I'm, I'm aware They of began the operation on the 5th, and this story started on the 5th. That's, yeah. that's yeah. why it's here. So, to, okay, everybody, calm down. We are all aware that June 6th is D-Day. A lot of well-actually guys rolling. Every out. single one of us are aware that June 6th is D-Day and that tomorrow is June 6th, okay? Just wanted to share this story that Borky put on the rundown that leads into the start of D-Day and is part of the story that most people forget about. So D-Day, the actual invasion of the beaches, the storming of the beaches at Normandy, have, it, it began loosely around 6 a.m., 6, 6.30 a.m., but the night before, and again, this is part of the story that, that I don't think gets as much play, is when the paratroopers went in. It was around midnight, maybe a little bit earlier, but you had a ton of paratroopers that went in the night before to kind of lay the groundwork. So we are coming up on the 75th anniversary of D-Day. The invasion began tonight. It was codenamed Operation Neptune. It's the largest invasion by sea in the history of the world. Nearly 10,000 casualties on the Allied side, 4,414 confirmed dead. This story was floating around on Twitter earlier today, and it's really cool. A 97-year-old United States veteran has parachuted into Normandy 75 years after he made nearly the same jump and nearly the same journey leading into D-Day. Tom Rice of San Diego was one of among 200 parachutists who filled the skies 
earlier today for the 75th anniversary of D-Day. They were honoring the airborne sailor, sailor soldiers, sorry, who jumped into gunfire and death ahead of the seaborne invasion that happened the following morning. Tom Rice, 97 years old, said after it was over, it went perfect, perfect jump. I feel great. I'd go up and do it again. Jumped in a tandem into uh, roughly the same area that he landed on D-Day in uh, the town of uh, Carantan, a Normandy town. I don't know if I said that correctly. That was um, among the main objectives for the Allied paratroopers on D-Day. It's one of the, the entire military. I, I remember reading a book when I was in, oh, I don't know, maybe fifth grade. That was called Operation Overlord, uh, and it was it was all about the invasion. But it was at a you know fifth sixth grade level, and but I remember kind of reading all that went into the planning and the movie Saving Private Ryan is one that has always stood out to me. So in about 2000, I think it would have been spring of 2000, I got to go to Europe. And one of the things that we did was go to Normandy. So my freshman year, maybe it's, I don't I don't maybe it was spring of 2000, 2001, whatever it was. My freshman year, I went to school at Ole Miss. I left for a year and a half, uh, went to a small school in West Tennessee. It's called Freed Hardeman. That's where my parents had gone to school. And there was a, a choral group there called the Acapella Singers that I was with. And so we traveled there, went to the um, the World War II Cemetery, which is actually American property, United States property in Normandy. And with that group, sang the Star Spangled Banner there. And uh, the naval hymn, Eternal Father, Strong to Save. So it was like with a choral group, pretty cool. And then got to go down on those beaches. And it's amazing some of the installations that are still there, right there on the North Atlantic. One of the most chilling and like etched in your mind forever experiences that I've ever had in my life. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Ceasefire text line is hopping today. Do you want ultra fast LTE for free? Switch to a $25 unlimited plan on prepaid by Ceasefire for two free gigabytes of high speed data each month and a free Samsung Galaxy J3. Learn more at ceasefire.com slash prepaid. 601 879 4395. Again, 601 879 4395. Ceasefire. Customer inspired. I do want to share a few of these messages with you, and then we'll move on uh, from the D-Day conversation. For the the thirty-seven of you that sent us a message that said D-Day is tomorrow, thank you. Appreciate that. Is it um, only thirty-seven? It felt like more. <laughs> yeah, I kind of lost count. Uh, there was a, a flood of uh, reminders that it was actually June sixth and not June fifth. And yes, thank you. We just needed to get a little bit deeper into the story for you to understand where we were going with it on the day before the 75th anniversary of D-Day. George, I want to read this. George in West Point. Man, this is unbelievable. My dad landed on Omaha Beach on D-Day. He was part of the 1st Infantry. 
Then he fought his way across Germany and into uh, across Belgium and into Germany, and helped liberate some concentration camps. George, thank you for sharing that. And I'm not sure that I can imagine. I, I have no idea, George, what your relationship is like with your dad. I, I hope it was a, a wonderful one. I, I don't know if he's still living or if he's passed away or whatever. But at, at just nothing but a surface level, I can't imagine the pride that you have in being able to tell people that your dad was a part of that and what he did for humanity. Thanks for sharing it, man. Very, very cool. Um, somebody suggests, Dan and Charleston suggest we could, we uh, should read a book called The Longest Day. Um, very good. And then, okay, there was another one. Uh, Michael suggested we should uh, visit the World War II Museum in New Orleans. If you've not done that, I have not done it. I know a lot of people that have. Hey, Dad, are you going to do that this summer when you guys go to, uh, when you go to NOLA for your vacation? I'm going to try to talk the family into it, yes. I've been. It's well worth it. The place is awesome. Yeah. Um, it's with two girls. I don't know. They're super into war, so yeah. we'll see. But I'd, I'd like to go. John says they don't make them like those guys anymore, and I'm trying to find this one other message. Um, I'm going to find it, and I'm going to read it to you in a minute because I don't want to, I don't want to paraphrase it. I want to get it exactly right. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. We are going to turn the page and uh, – Kind of talk some Mississippi State baseball. We'll talk some Ole Miss baseball as well. There was a media availability in Starkville earlier today. Brian Haydad was there. Got some audio for us. Uh, one question on the top of minds for a lot of people is about the health of JT Ginn. Will he go? Won't he go? What kind of shape is he in? Chris Lamonis didn't have a lot to say about it, but he did say this. We don't know. We don't, you know, he's still and you know, she hadn't picked up a ball. So, um, but we're just, you know, taking it slow and seeing where he's at. But um, right now, I just don't know. All right. Hey, Dad, I, I don't want to read more into that than is there because what he said is I don't know. But he also said he hasn't picked a ball up yet. Yeah. And it's Wednesday, and he last pitched on. Saturday? Correct. And the game's no, starting Friday. Okay, that's right. He threw on Friday. And this series starts back on Saturday. It I mean, tell me if I'm reading it doesn't sound like JT Ginn's going to pitch this weekend. I, I don't see how you, you can come to any other conclusion just off of that. And I think I mentioned this yesterday. When we've talked to Lamonis in the past about injuries, he's always been oh, we're optimistic to have him back. We're not getting that this time around. Now I saw Ginn at practice, and he's running around out there, and you know he's got a smile on his face. But when you tell me that he hasn't picked up a ball all week long, that tells me that that this is probably you know a little bit more serious than than, than we maybe it was you know a few weeks ago when he was you know missing going to miss his start at Tennessee and he ended up pitching one inning. Um, yeah. Now, like you said, don't have anything for sure. We're just sort of speculating here, but just based off of that. You know, I, I think it would be. Un, I feel like it's unlikely at this point that Ginn's going to get the ball this weekend. Uh, you know, you're in great shape with Ethan Small. You, you feel fantastic about any game that he's pitching in. A healthy JT Ginn, you feel great about. Plumlee has gotten better and better as the season comes along, but there have been at times throughout the season some question marks about the bullpen. Largely, it's been good. 
What does Chris Lamonis think about bullpen depth for Mississippi State? It's been, it's been. We've had a depth of our bullpen all year, and guys have you know pitched really good. Um, you know, Stanford is a lot more right-handed, so Cole and Leaves and and Colby and some of those guys, and then you have Tristan for some of the lefties. But um, and we got guys like Keegan James and Jack Egan, and just some guys that could really help us out there. So uh, you know, we like how we match up there. Do you like the bullpen matchup, hey, Dad? State's got some talented arms in that bullpen, and and they've had some guys step up here and there throughout the season that maybe you wouldn't have expected. You know, you look at the, the last couple of outings for Eric Sarantola, and they've been pretty good. Egan's a guy that you know can come in in a, in a matchup situation and get you a couple outs as a lefty. Same with Barlow, um, and then of course you know Lee Belt, White, and Gordon have been very solid all year long. So it's not the best bullpen in the SEC by or, or in the country by any means, but it's it's been effective this year. I mean they're. They're 49 and 13, so they haven't had a whole lot of blown leads, obviously. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously, I think the best case scenario for State is on, Friday, on Saturday, I guess, is for Small to go out there and try to give them seven, eight innings, and then you can just sort of take it from there. My, my concern with, with Ginn being out is do you want to make a play to try to, you know, in, in a possible game three, throw Cole Gordon out there for some extended relief? Maybe somebody like Brandon Smith gets a couple times through the order, and then you go to Cole Gordon maybe in the fourth or fifth inning and see how far he can take you. But obviously that depends on what happens in game one and game two. All right, what was the scenario with Brandon Smith last weekend? Because I remember looking through the box scores, and when he pitched, it was for a, a really short stint. He came in at when Ginn came out. So he was just okay. sitting on the bench, wasn't expecting to go into the ball game, and all of a sudden they're telling him, you got to get up and go in right now. My guess is he wasn't even planning to pitch that game because State would have probably had him penciled in as a fourth starter had the the the, uh, the regional gone to Monday. Uh, he came in very quickly. He had to warm up quickly, and he was just ineffective. Uh, one more from Chris Lamonis. Uh, the draft going on the last couple of days, it's a strange time because you've got guys on your team who are getting drafted, and you don't want to take that moment away from them, and yet you're still trying to get ready for a super regional. What does Chris Lamonis think about the draft? It's good. It's exciting. Yesterday, um... You know, and we, we practiced yesterday morning, but we're practicing right now, and the draft's going on, so it's the only practice of the year where the guys get to run around with their cell phones in their pockets. So you'll see a guy yesterday, we were in the middle of our drill, and Jake Mangum kind of you know, veered off, and uh, he actually went into my office because he's the only one with uh, the MLB draft on, so he could watch his name being called. Um, so it's pretty cool for, for the him. And Ethan Small the other night, that's just awesome, you know, awesome for him. And it's all the guys I've had. You know, even my guys back in Indiana, I'm watching, and, Seeing them get drafted and realize their dreams, it's a lot of fun as a coach. Pretty neat stuff. So you get to run around with a cell phone in your pocket at practice uh, if it looks like you might be drafted in that uh, that time slot and said that's exactly what happened with uh, with Jake Mangum. In the middle of a yeah. drill, just kind of veers off to the side. I guess his phone rings, probably a call from either his agent or from a team that says, hey, uh, you're about to get a call. And he goes inside to see his name called on the, uh, the MLB network coverage. That's pretty neat. Yeah, while we were talking to Lamonis in that interview, uh, Tristan Barlow was picked, and he was very excited about that. Of course, throughout the whole, where did he go? And we told him it was Colorado. He's like, "Oof, tough place for pitchers, but but good luck to him." Is there a better way to do that? It, it just seems yes. like, I mean, in the middle of games, you had a regional game where a guy is is standing in the on deck circle, and his team tells him he got picked, and so they had a little moment, which I guess was kind of cool. But at the same time, he's in the middle of a game, and worried about working. something else. Could easily. He gets drafted while standing in the on-deck circle, steps into the batter's box, and pulls a Phil Mickelson. Hit 
Bomb. <laughs> I think he was a little fired up at that moment. He hit a bomb. What, Chase Strumpf got drafted by the Cubs, if I'm not mistaken. Um, why not do it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? There's no games. Well, not only that, why not do it? I mean, is it that imperative to get get started while the season's going on? Could they not start it the day after the College World Series ends? I, well, I mean, yes, I guess theoretically they could. I don't know that Major League Baseball cares enough to, to move it, though, because they've got timeline right. stuff that's in place where guys have to sign by certain days or have to be report by certain days. And get them in many seasons in rookie ball and stuff. So they, they want to see a little bit of them before the uh, the summer ends. We're going to hold off on the uh, the back and forth with uh, Jake Mangum. We'll get that to you. It's a little harder to hear, but I think you'll be able to decipher it and, uh, and hear what it uh, sounded like as well. This is the C Spire text line. Um... My grandfather, Robert B. Patterson, was on the 1941 Orange Bowl championship team at Mississippi State and parachuted in with the 82nd Airborne on D-Day. says that Rick Cleveland wrote an article about it. If you want to read that, uh, you can Google Rick Cleveland and Tut Patterson and, uh, and find that story. More coming up with you at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon, June 5th. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Let's play one more piece of audio from you. I told you it's a, a little difficult to uh, to hear and maybe uh, understand, uh, but I think uh, you'll want to hear it. Uh, kind of a question and answer going on with uh, Jake Mangum and some of the media guys at Mississippi State, including Brian Haydad. Here it is. Uh, I watched. I actually stayed up late and watched him play against Fresno State uh, in that final game uh, at Stanford. You know, they're a great team. Uh, they've been ranked all year. Uh, I'm not too familiar with the West Coast teams this year, to be honest. But Stanford's a very good program. I know they're going to be very talented, and uh, they're going to play good baseball. Uh, they look at their, their roster. They've got some, some big-time home run hitters on it. Three guys over in double digits, one guy with 19 home runs. Just from you as a hitter, did, did you look at something like that and go, okay, we're going to really need to show up this weekend? I mean, we got to show up every weekend. You know, I mean, um, every weekend in the regular season, we're playing somebody like that. South Carolina didn't even make it to Hoover. No, they did. They did. Uh, South Carolina was the lowest seed in Hoover, and their whole team had double digit home runs. You know? uh, it, it, it doesn't matter you know, who we play. We, we used to come out and play good baseball. There you go. Said so need to come out and play good baseball. Doesn't really matter who we're playing. We've got to bring it every single weekend. So that was uh, Jake Mangum. Uh, practice earlier uh, earlier today. Um, anything we didn't that that didn't make the cut there on the audio that we need to uh, know about? Hey, Dad. Well, I thought what you know what Mangum said also sort of went with what Ethan Small said. We we asked him, you know, have you taken a look at Stanford? And he said, no, nah, I haven't looked at him yet. And he said, I, you know, I don't. I try not to worry about the opponent so much. I try to pitch the way I know how to pitch. So that that seems to have been a, a theme this year for Mississippi State. For them, it's all about what are they doing on the field. They don't worry so much about what the opponent is doing. They know that if they they handle their business, they're talented enough to win the games they play. Good stuff. The draft has been uh, has been pretty doggone good to the state of Mississippi. Here's a, uh, a list of guys, and I don't want to bore you with names, but I think it's pretty cool to, to just hear these names and realize how many have been drafted um, that are either out of high school in Mississippi or are playing college baseball in Mississippi. Highest uh, pick overall was Ethan Small, first-round pick, 28th. 
Uh, went to the uh, to the Brewers. Matt Walner goes to the Twins in a uh, a sandwich round pick into the first round, number thirty nine overall. Greg Kessinger goes in the second round, number sixty eight to Houston. James Beard out of Lloyd Star High School uh, goes one hundred tenth overall. That's in the fourth round. And you you heard the uh, the note that we mentioned yesterday. Uh, first ever drafted player out of Lloyd Star High School. I know there's a lot of local pride for that. Uh, Jake Mangum in the fourth round, Will Etheridge in the fifth round, Thomas Dillard in the fifth round, Cooper Johnson in the sixth round, Colby White from Mississippi State in the sixth round, uh, from Mississippi Gulf Coast Junior College, Brandon Parker to the Braves in the tenth round, George County High School, Trevor McDonald in the eleventh round, Isaiah Johnson out of Smithville High School goes in the 14th round, pick number 427 overall. Uh, Tristan Barlow from Mississippi State in the 16th round, that was 489. Uh, from Pearl River Community College, Dexter Jordan uh, in the 16th round to the Astros. Dustin Skelton, the catcher for Mississippi State, goes in the 18th round to the Miami Marlins. That feels like a value pick there for the Marlins, doesn't it? Yeah, Skelton's had a, a tremendous year, big jump from from last year to this one. Will he be back, or do you think he goes? I think I think he'll go. Okay. Uh, Blaine Krim out of uh, Mississippi College goes to the Texas Rangers in the 19th round. Christian Johnson out of Clinton High School in the 19th round to Tampa Bay. Jared Liebelt from Mississippi State, 20th round pick of the Diamondbacks. Parker Caracy goes in the 21st round to the Toronto Blue Jays. Hilton Dyer from Clinton High School, 21st round to the Phillies. Cole Zabowski gets picked in the 22nd round by the Detroit Tigers. He'll have a decision to make. Uh, J.C. Keys from Southern Miss, 23rd round to Cincinnati. Keegan James from Mississippi State goes to the Rockies in the 25th round. Zach Phillips, left-handed pitcher from Ole Miss, goes in the 27th round to Kansas City. Uh, Dalton Fowler from Northwest Community College, 27th round to the Mets. Houston Roth from Ole Miss, 29th round to the Orioles. Marshall Gilbert from State, 29th round uh, to the Pirates. Jerry and Ely goes 932nd pick overall. 31st round to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Peyton Plumley from Mississippi State, uh, 31st round to the Houston Astros. And Cole Gordon drafted in the 32nd round by the New York Metropolitans. So... Um, those are all the Mississippi guys. Michael Morgan had an interesting topic on his podcast today. You can uh, get that by going to searching what for Super Talk on the uh, podcast. You can also listen at supertalk.fm. Anywhere you get podcasts, it is called The Michael Borky Show. Right? Just Borky, but yeah. I mean, very uncreative, kind of like me. The The Borky Show? Yeah. You didn't like your first name? It's the Borky Nation show, according to some. Michael Borky doesn't ring. Like, I don't know what my parents were thinking, putting Michael in front of that atrocity of a last name, but it, it just, it doesn't flow. And my first name is James. Maybe I should have always gone by that, but no, it Jimmy, just doesn't flow at all. Jimmy Borky. I don't want to hear, does it flow? Brian Scott? Like, no one understands that. I just... Yeah, but Brian Scott Rippey's like a power name. That's a good name. Um, Michael once I, I did notice is an awful name. I did notice you introduced yourself to somebody uh, recently as Brian Rippey. I go back and forth. It's hard. To, like, it makes no sense. My parents really put me behind the eight ball with this one. It makes my mom mad, but I just... I, makes her mad what? When you talk about it or when you don't use your entire name? I don't name? use my entire name. Well, both. Both probably upsets her. Um, what are you going to do? It's like... 
like every time I've like I've introduced myself as Brian Scott Rippey, I get the uh, the Talladega Nights look where they're doing the interview and they're like, the guy's got two first names. Yeah, don't really know what to do about that one, Chief. Sorry, my business card's long. Have you thought about dropping Brian and just going with Scott Rippey? I can't do that. Why? Call me Scott and try it with a straight face. Hey, Scotty. Yes, he can't do it. Scotty Rippy. Okay, add a Y just makes it worse. I was going IE. It doesn't matter. Scotty, don't. Should we start calling him Scott, Borky? Please do not do You think that. your mom might like track down a phone number and like call into the show and be angry with us? We give her um, a text line number every day. She'll just be texting us nonstop. I need to meet your mom sometime. Okay, that's a little weird, but sure. <laughs> Why is that weird? You talk about your mom said, on the radio all the time. That weird. I need to meet your mom sometime. Okay, I'm sorry. I need to meet your dad sometime. Whatever. Your your parents. Your family. Um, your family. Yeah, sure. We can. Uh, we'll have a super talk dinner. Put them through the gauntlet. Ask them why I got two first names. You think your mom would be entertained by that, or she? Ask would her why she bought me that zip up golf shirt that day that's caused so much <laughs> trouble on the show. Your parody account finally stopped tweeting at everybody, though. What a shame! I'm, uh, I'm, I'm curious. Do you actually love your son or no? Are you proud no. of him now that he's a doctor? Because your shopping habits say otherwise. And your dad got mad at you one day, right? About what? Didn't you talk about golf on the show too much? Or no, I think I trashed his short game or something. I don't really remember how that went down. Uh, I think you said he played too much golf. Or- Maybe that's what it was. Although I did give him credit one time for carrying us in a scramble. Did he? Oh, yeah. Is he better than you? Well, let's not get carried away. <laughs> Are you... Like, you got, you and your dad play a little money game? He would beat me probably fairly regularly at the moment. Not playing a ton of golf. Wait, so like so, so now are we getting carried the, carried away or are we telling the truth? No, no, we're probably telling the truth. I'll be honest. Hey, was it, was this apartment week? House how story week? Or is that next week? No, we kicked that can into July. Oh, we were going to get past baseball season. Yeah, when I'm on vacation. Oh, no, no. You don't want me to tell the story without you here to make sure that it uh, do a little fact-checking along the way. Oh, boy. We could not call you Brian, not call you Brian Scott, not call you Scott, just call you Squatter. This has been four minutes of fantastic radio. I've actually, this is the best radio we've done today so far outside of the World War II honoring thing. Um, Somewhere along the way, we went from Borky has a podcast, and we're not sure exactly what the name is, to old Squatter Rippy over here. Well, because my name sucks, and that's what it comes down to. Um, So on Borky's podcast. Just for the record. Haddad? I'm sorry, what? Yeah, exactly. Breen Haddad. What are the alternate pronunciations that you've gotten for your last name? Haddad, Hadid, Haddad. Oh, I like Haddad a lot. I like Hadid. Yeah. we. Uh, There's not we an took, I in there. We, we took so? uh, the youngest to the Vic Schaefer basketball camp this week, and they introduced, you know, they're going through the role, and I'm just sitting there waiting on it. Like, she's, it's going to get butchered. It's going to get butchered. Emily Haddad. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they got it right at the end of the camp, though. Did she correct them? Uh, I don't know if she did or not. She's very shy. I guess we kind of all do that to our kids, right? It's like my my oldest daughter has a double name. She's Ava Montgomery, and you have to figuratively beat into them. You have two names, not one. And she's kind of gotten to the age where if somebody calls her Ava, she goes, "Um, 
It's Ava Montgomery. Oh, yeah. They're like, I'm sorry, I beg your pardon? My, my name? But they, they go together. It's a double name. Ava Montgomery. Oh, oh okay, Ava Montgomery. Hate to break it to you, that thing's getting chopped to Ava by like 18. No shot. Yeah. No, not if she owns it. That's what my mom said. You don't like your name, though. No, I don't. You don't. Oh, you're not willing to fight the battle. throwing around accusations. No, I'm too lazy to explain it, so I'm good with whatever. Go ahead. Call say, me squat. I'll respond. I don't care. Oh, that's even better than squatter. Squat. squat. <laughs> this is like really how Daryl turned... became Mr. Rogers on The Office right now. You know, as yeah. a general rule. No. I just turned the crosshairs on myself here. <laughs> Go ahead. Fire away. Well, and and... And as a general rule, you can't give yourself a nickname and have it stick, but I think Rippy just did that. <laughs> I don't think so. I, in two weeks, I don't think this is going to stick. Hey, can you uh, can you send David an email and have him redo the uh, open with squat Rippy in there? Oh, yeah. He checks Noted. in with me every so often. We're good. There you go. Um, the point in all of this was... We've got about two minutes left to talk about the actual topic. Oh, we can always just push it back to another segment. Oh, well, geez, if that's the we case, we'll stick with this uh, giving yourself a nickname thing. If you were giving yourself a nickname, hey, Dad, what would it be? Uh, I don't know. I've always just gone by my last name my whole life, basically. My, my friends call me by my last the, name. Your last name that nobody can pronounce correctly. Well, my friends can pronounce it. They've known me forever. Yeah. Whatever you say, Hadid. <laughs> Keep talking, Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy Borky, that kind of Jimmy works, Borky, you know? man, you sound like somebody's grandpa. Well, my dad is you and Mangum hanging out on the porch talking about the good old days. My dad is James and goes by Jim, and I think that's a good power name. But I, I... Jim Borky is great. Jimmy Borky is his uh, rough, less yeah. successful brother. Wait, are you saying Jimmy's not a good name? Well, it's a good a name, name, not paired with Borky. I'm sorry, Jimmy Chitwood on line one, please. Jimmy Carter. Mm. President of the United States. Doesn't get much better mm. than that. In that I, capacity, I take Jimmy Chitwood over Jimmy Carter, but that's just me. Jimmy Chitwood's a fictional character. It's not a real person. Don't speak blasphemy, Hadid. He didn't exist. Oh, he did. Jimmy Olsen. It's not another fictional character, though. Um. The last thing here, I guess. Um, I I get a kick out of the threads on random uh, message boards when people are trying to take shots at me. They're like, "Well, Dick Cross said this." I mean, you, you think you're the first guy that's called me that? I called you that on our podcast today. It's like, ooh, man, that one really cut to the heart. I can't believe you called me it's a that. Deep burn. The burn is so deep. That started on the. Uh, my friend Josh Harris started calling me that on the uh, high school golf team. Kinda, it took that long. Stuck as well. Figured that'd be like oh. a fifth grade thing once yeah. kids started learning what words are. Yeah, you're probably right. Hey, by the way. Um, this was a text that came in earlier today when we were talking about Thousand Acres and how much land that actually was. Amanda in Pike County, who's one of our favorites, um, she says, I used to live on a thousand acres, and the smother-in-law was two miles down the road. <laughs> I like smother-in-law. That's funny. I've, I've never heard that before. 
And that's fantastic. That is good. Amanda also suggests that you should just go by BS. Um, That was a common joke slash thing for people, I would say, over the age of like 50 when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. That really was a knee slapper. Yeah, I got dorky and porky when I was a little bit chubby for a long oh, that's time. That's even way better. I said, did, did porky Those stick through college? Uh, well, porky came back in college there for a little while, but yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh here it is. Here it is. It's my favorite tweet of the day. Stick Text of the day. Guy. Please stick to sports. Please. Having more fun in this 10 minutes than I've had all no. week. Or what? Stick to selling insurance, uh, guy. Whatever yeah. it is you do. Or what? What, do what this guy do? does. What's his name? I don't know. He didn't have a name. I can give his phone number. We'll call I him got his Sheldon. phone number, but not his name. Um, I don't know his name. His probably name shouldn't do that. Yeah, Sheldon? Sheldon. That's his name. Might be Shane. Eric. Kyle. No offense I to promise, Kyle. I, I promise. I promise. We're going to talk some football when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Richard Cross. Michael Borky, Brian Hayden, and Squat Rippy with you. We'll be right back. <laughs> Jeez. Ceasefire <laughs> ah. text line 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. You guys are lighting up the text line today. at Ceasefire Repair Center. They love making happier experiences for you. That's why they've got one-hour phone repair, fixing any phone from any carrier with certified parts and technicians. Visit cspire.com slash repair to find a repair center near you. Cspire customer inspired. There are a handful of Cspire locations that also have Mac repair now. So you got a Mac computer? Got a problem? Take it in. Includes stores in Oxford, Starkville, Hattiesburg, Gulfport, Clinton, Madison, D'Iberville, and Laurel. Eight locations across the state from Oxford to Gulfport. That is for your Mac repair at C Spire. The uh, C Spire text line, I think there should be a full segment every day of Squat's reaction to stupid messages like the one a few weeks ago when he blew up. I can't even remember what it was about, but his reaction was great. Who? You. You're Squat now. Oh. Yeah, that's tough. Whatever. That's the kind of reaction that I think they're looking for. I'm, I'm going through some unfortunate <laughs> sports names, and these are pretty bad. I don't think we probably should read those online. Here's what we should do, though. Matt Luke has received maybe more than his fair share of criticism since he got the job at Ole Miss. Can we all agree on that? Yeah, some of it is undeserved, but some of it, I understand where it's coming from. Okay. Matt Luke is the interim head coach. He gets the job. The perception is that, you know, from lots of people that, oh, they just walked down the hallway and gave the job to him. That's not how it went down, but there are a lot of people that are going to believe that, and that's regard, regardless of what you want to believe, you're, you're going to believe what you want to believe. That's fine. But if you've been part of the group, and this is not like a prop up Matt Luke segment, if you've been part of the group that's been extremely critical of him, you've also got to give some credit for the last six months, right? So you come off the season where you're not bowl eligible, frustrated with the way the season ends in the Egg Bowl, not even close against Mississippi State, and everybody's just down on football. And then they go to work recruiting, and the early signing period's pretty good. 
and they followed up with a pretty good February and finished with a top 25 class, number 22 in the country. 31 signees out of that class, and all 31 of them are on campus now. No grade casualties, no junior college defections, no baseball draft defections. Everybody's there. And that includes a five-star running back in Jerry Ely. And oh, by the way, he had to make changes on his staff because changes needed to be made on his staff. Fires Wesley McGriff, hires Mike McIntyre as the defensive coordinator. Phil Longo leaves, inevitably was going to have to fire Phil Longo. It worked out uh, serendipitously that Longo got the offensive coordinator job at North Carolina. Brings in Rich Rodriguez. Parts ways with Jason Jones, who'd been on the staff for a long time and was liked by everybody, and brings in Tyrone Nix. What does that all mean to you? You're not winning an SEC championship with the number 22 recruiting class in the country. No, I mean, you're. it's a limited ceiling with that kind of class, but it's one that you can build a foundation with, especially because they all are actually showing up to campus, which is exceedingly rare. I mean, generally speaking, you can expect a grade casualty or somebody signing, placing to JUCO or something like that almost every year. Um yeah, there's a lot of negativity, right, Richard. You know that. You got everybody knows that. There's a lot of negativity. Season ticket sales are down, and and I understand every bit of that. I really do. But for somebody that had no experience as a head coach, doesn't have their own offensive system or defensive system because they've never called plays before, this offseason is going about as good as you could possibly think it could, all things considered. And by the way, I mean even though the NCAA stuff is still gone. It's still being used against them, believe it or not, in recruiting. It's probably not working, but teams are still trying to do it. I mean, they are just now getting off of probation and just now getting away from bull bands and stigmas and all of that stuff. And most of Hugh Freeze's stuff in the program is all gone. And it took it, here's this guy with no experience and clearly has something to prove to a lot of doubters, more doubters than any Ole Miss coach has probably ever had within their own fan base. And yet he goes out and hires two people that are probably more qualified for the job he has than he is. And not probably, they are. The two people he hired to run his offense and defense are more qualified for the position he has. Doesn't matter. Because there's no ego. And he checked that at the door and realized that this is the way that I'm going to win. And you still have to prove it. None of this matters if they go to Memphis and lose and then lose to Arkansas in week two because then it's still a huge problem. But... There's a lot of boxes in the right column that have been checked ever since they got smoked in the Egg Bowl. It feels like maybe there's some momentum in that program, and you haven't had it for years now because of all the cloud and everything else. Yeah. Rippy, how does Matt Luke win the fan base back? Or can he? Well... I would tend to believe that there's a faction that he may never get back, but I think, one, he's probably not focused on that in in general, but like centering your focus on that would be not smart. Um, But really, it's just winning games. And 
Unfortunately, I think he may be in a position where he needs to win big for that to happen. Um, but see, I don't ever like it's. It, it'll be interesting that it will be interesting if they have a year that exceeds expectations this year. And by exceeds expectations, I would say I maybe make a bowl game. Like, what is the temperature of the fan base if they go six and six? I have no idea the answer to that, but I'm interested to find out. It probably matters how they get to 6-6 six and six and who they beat and if they look more competitive in the games where they're playing teams with superior talent. But what does that look like? Like, Are people excited? Are they buying up tickets and selling out whatever that stadium is that's still barely together in Birmingham as like kind of a pivotal moment on the upward trajectory? I don't know. The old gray lady, Legion Field. Yeesh. Okay, old gray lady. I what? What's the nickname for Legion Field? Okay, um, hell of a day for nicknames. Um, but yeah, so I I don't uh I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if people get behind that. I tend to think probably just because there's been so much bad in the football program the last couple of years, if they kind of look better, win a couple of games, and actually get to play in the postseason for the first time since 2015. I guess it was technically 2016 when the game happened. Whatever, um then I think there will probably be some momentum there, and then he needs to keep performing well in recruiting. Is, and then what happens if his coordinators leave after a year and take another job if they have success? That's another probably can, can byproduct you, of Can you success. turn around and hire? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Go um, ahead. Let it out. No. It, it wasn't going to be good. Oh. Um. Is there a point where... It's just kind of turned into the cool thing to dog Matt Luke and be not a fan of Matt Luke. The cool like, thing? Like it's a big groupthink thing. If you're asking me for trends and the cool thing to do, you're asking the wrong fellow. But well, There is a perception of how that hire came about. Whether or not it's true, it, it does not matter, but there's a perception that uh, there was local pressure, including the... the Chancellor of the University at the time that only made that happen because an Egg Bowl was won. And even if that's true or not true, it doesn't matter. There is a perception that that is how it went down. Well, I think to Borky's point, what kind of we're saying two different versions of the same thing. I'm not necessarily sure it's cool or trendy amongst the fan base. I think it's the people that view the hire as illegitimate or the way or unhappy with the way it came about. I think that's probably where that comes from when people do it. Um, and there's some legitis- legitimacy to that. But I don't know what happens if he goes six and six this year, or seven and five, or something. I don't necessarily believe that's going to happen. But what does that look like? Like, what is the momentum? I have no idea. Well, and and to me, that's the other question: is when you say, okay, well, what if they get to a bowl game? If it's six and six, where they play just okay and get beat by seven touchdowns by Alabama. And lose by five touchdowns to LSU and five touchdowns to Auburn. You need to keep a couple of those games competitive. You need to play over your head for at least one of those. Keep the other ones within reason. Like another, and I, I guess Alabama is a bad example because I'm not sure there's any stopping this, but like another 66-3 to in Tuscaloosa is going to feel demoralizing. I was in-house at the time, by the way, for that. Try writing a game story lead to that. Yeah. Gary Wonderlick's field goal, not enough as Rebels fall 66-3. Is that what you did? No, I did not. Sports that would be masterful. 
ceasefire text line. The only coach that has done a better job with what he has is Derek Mason, but Matt Luke has done a great job based on the circumstances. Eh, small sample size still. There's something to it. All right, what about with Mississippi State? Going to rely on some transfers rolling in to be big offensively. How big will they have to be? That's next. Quinn says, come on, squat. You know, cool and trendy when you see it. Zippered shirts? That's a fair point. It's tomorrow's golf shirt. Oh, yeah? Yeah. When you go to the Delta Soul golf charity event? You wear the zippered golf shirt to Steve Azar's tournament tomorrow? I might just despite everybody. The weather's going to force us inside, it looks like, by the way. Mm. Can I go sweater no vest but no shirt underneath? No? No. Okay. I mean, you can. Yeah. No, you can't. No. The answer to that is no. I kind of want to see it happen. So how buff I am? I want to see what Steve Azar would say to him if he showed up wearing a sweater vest with nothing underneath it. Steve's not really a big judge other people kind of guy. So there you go. He'd probably like it, to tell you the truth. It's settled. Sports Talk Mississippi live at the Delta Soul Celebrity Golf and Charity Event in Greenville tomorrow. The Delta Soul event benefits the Steve Azar St. Cecilia Foundation that aids sick, disadvantaged, and abused children and supports art and music programs. Be listening tomorrow to Sports Talk Mississippi. bunch of celebrities there. Never entirely sure who's going to make an appearance. But uh, that'll be fun. Is is Steve going to sit down with you guys tomorrow, Borky? Oh, yeah, a Himself? few times. He's the best, man. Never Good met dude. him. I mean, I'm excited. I'm going to ask him your question about the um, greatest opening line in rock music history. See if he has an answer. That's good. Oh. Ooh. Are you going to steal answer. the question or are you going to credit me on it? I'm going to credit you on it. Okay. No, no, no. Just steal it. Well, don't, don't don't throw out what my thought is. See what his answer is before we throw out the other. I mean, not that I'm telling you how to ask questions. I do Richard said it's Tommy used to work on the docks. Hmm. Not a bad one. I'm just saying. Super Talk Mississippi will be broadcasting live from the Bank of Holly Springs 150th birthday celebration on Friday. Bank of Holly Springs is the state's oldest bank. That's the whole Super Talk Mississippi crew at the Bank of Holly Springs birthday party. Highway 7, just south of Interstate 22, formerly known as Highway 78, in uh, in Holly Springs. That's coming up on Friday. Hey, Dad, Mississippi State's got some new faces coming in on the offensive side of the ball that are expected to play a big role. I asked you the question yesterday, most important player on Mississippi State's team. You said, without hesitation, it's Kylan Hill. How big is the role going to be for Tommy Stevens? And I know we're making an assumption here, but I just kind of feel like we're going to make the assumption that he's going to be yeah. the starting quarterback. I feel like it's a safe assumption. Uh, it's, it's He's got to have a big role. I think you'll see less of the running game go through him than you saw through Nick Fitzgerald. And then in the passing game, I don't know that you'll see a whole lot more passing than you saw last year. State threw the ball a good bit, uh, but I do believe that with Stevens you have a, a – a, a better chance of seeing more accurate passing. Fitzgerald, for all his strengths, you know, pass accuracy just wasn't one of them. Uh, with Stevens, I think you get a, a little bit more of traditional quarterback play out of him. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a big thing, especially for me, and I think I've, I've said this before, with, with Stevens coming in and now with Zuber coming in, you know, Joe Moorhead has got some pieces that he didn't have a season ago. He's got a quarterback that he's familiar with who's a better passer. He's got a receiver who's been productive in Power 5 situations before. 
Did he do I anything against Mississippi State last year? Do what now? In the K-State game? Did, did Zuber do anything? He's from Kansas State, right? No, he didn't do much, but I mean, name the receiver that did do a lot against Mississippi State last year. I mean, that's just not... When you when you ask that question, it, it's it's sort of loaded because state's defense it shut everybody down. I mean, Jerry Judy and and AJ Brown didn't have big games against uh, Mississippi State last year. So fair enough. Um, so but but Zuber led the nation in punt returns. He, you know he had 50 catches last year, which is double what anybody at Mississippi State had. So I mean, if he just come in and be better, if just be most better impressive than what they had thing year. about that is Kansas State only had 50 completions. <laughs> That's possible. You know, Bill Snyder not exactly a. Uh, a Mike Leach disciple when it comes to the offensive disciple. side of the ball. So yeah, I mean, th- th- there's a lot expected of those guys, and if Moorhead can get them, you know, get them in the right place and get them doing what you expect of them, State can be better offensively and, and have a chance to, you know, duplicate last year's success or maybe even be better than it. But if they're not, if they're not good and they they, they don't deliver on those expectations, it's going to be a real struggle for Mississippi State. All right, you think there's a scenario where Mississippi State is better? Than they were a year ago, record-wise, they can be. They can be because I'm not big on Auburn. Uh, you know, and your two East teams are Kentucky and T- they were 0 and 2 against the East last year. They could easily be 2 and 0 this year. Kentucky and, and Tennessee, you know, aren't world beaters. Uh, you can win your your non-conference games. You can beat Arkansas. I think you're going to be favored against Ole Miss. I mean, there's a possibility well, that's to win eight. eight nine games. Yeah, I mean, there's, and then can you beat A and M for the fifth time in six years? You know, so. That's, that's I guess that's the question, but you got to. So, be so that's eight, that. and it leaves Auburn, Alabama, LSU, and A and M. Right. And you know, if you can win one of those, boom, you're nine wins. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I'll, I'll make that clear. I, I I don't think State's going to be a nine win team. But they have. If if they're better offensively, they can they can at least be around that and be competitive in every game and have a chance to 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 win those games. If they win eight, maybe even if they win seven, do we start talking about consistency as opposed to underachieving then? Maybe. Probably. <laughs> you don't sound too excited about that conversation. Yeah, I don't. But it just sort of is what it is. But, yeah, they have, they have a good chance. Consistency's a good thing when you're talking about seven or eight wins a year. Oh, yeah, no, you're, you're right. No question about that. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. That music's fitting for John Harris, who's joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky, Squat Rippy, glad to have you along this afternoon. <laughs> I'll wait this one out. This one died. You can text the show on the uh, C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Houston Texans Radio, HoustonTexans.com. Everywhere else, talking football all the time. My man, Johnny Harris. John, what's up? What's going on, boys? How you doing, Richard? Have you guys rolled into full summer mode in Houston yet? Oh, well, uh, when you look at our weather forecast, absolutely. We've got rain that could uh, bring flash flooding that's coming in today and came in today and will stay here through tomorrow. Uh, and then this weekend, it's going to be 97 or 98 degrees. So, yes, weather-wise, absolutely. Uh, we've got about another week with the players. They've got uh, veteran minicamp next week, and then they are gone for six weeks. And the next time that we see them, it'll be training camp time. So 
it, summer is is just about here in Houston. There's no doubt. What are you trying to accomplish with mini camps? <laughs> my my goal is for nobody to get hurt. That's all I care about. I don't yeah. even I don't even care when the team gets done at this point because uh, look, there's there, there's the biggest question mark for the Texans offensively. Well, there's two. Number one, and this is for everybody, but can can you stay healthy? That's and you need to stay healthy, and you, you hope that's the case. Number two, for us, it's the offensive line. Well, you're really not going to know much about the offensive line until we get to training camp when they can put the pads on. So we really won't have those questions answered. But I think what this spring has really done is it's given some guys, especially at the wide receiver position, with DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller both. Uh, DeAndre is recuperating from some of the injuries that he suffered last year, and then Will's coming back from the ACL. So it's giving guys the opportunity to get a lot of reps, including Floyd Allen, who played at Ole Miss, didn't get a lot of time at Ole Miss, but he ended up earning a spot on a 90-man roster and a chance to go to training camp because of what he did with his tryout. The week, the three-day weekend, uh, he did a really nice job. The coaches were impressed and gave him a contract to be on a 90-man roster. So those guys are getting a lot of reps, a lot of time with Deshaun Watson, A.J. McCarron. Hey, John. And you can really but, tell that's paying off. But let me interrupt you on Floyd Allen. Do you know the whole backstory with him? It's amazing. It, it, I, I don't even – just reading his story and how he even got to the Texans, and I started thinking about this. I was like, well, how did the Texans find out about him? And I guess he came to the local pro day, and the Texans you can bring in, like, if you were if you went a certain mile radius of an NFL team or you played at a local university like Rice or – I don't even think Texas a counts, but if you're from Houston, which Floyd is – then you have an opportunity to go to a uh, local minicamp. And so he went to the rookie minicamp, and he really impressed them. And they're like, all right, well, come for a tryout. And they asked him for a tryout, and he ended up really, really showing it off. And it's funny because in the three-day minicamp, I almost texted you, Richard, because I'm like, Floyd Allen is not a name I'm very familiar with, but this guy's making some plays in our rookie minicamp. What's going on? He's a tryout player, and then a few days later he gets a contract. So he's really – Making a name for himself uh, this this time in in mini camps. Or I'm sorry, in OTAs and hopefully the mini camp. But he'll be fighting for a roster spot to get, even if it's just to get to the practice squad. He's yeah. going to have a tough uphill, uphill climb. But <laughs> to him, uphill climb is nothing when you think about what that guy's been through. So well, from, that, from that standpoint, he's he's an amazing story, and I hope he makes the practice squad just so we have the opportunity to tell more of his story to the people here in Houston. And John, if you had texted me and asked me about him, I would have sent you a link to the to the article that Brian Scott Rippey wrote uh, about him. You know, he he ends up getting a scholarship his last year, and his teammates are just beside themselves happy about it. And then you start digging, yeah. you realize this guy went to a bunch of different schools and lived in his car and was homeless and was afraid to tell his parents that he was homeless because they were going to make him come back to Houston. He was trying to get out of that spot to see all of that come full circle. And a guy who knows if he ever plays in the NFL, but just get a shot. It's a pretty cool story. I'm absolutely right there with you. I think it's a tremendous story, and and I'll I'll be honest with you. I didn't know, I didn't know much about it. He tweeted something the other day after he had signed his contract, and he had there was a there were it was like four different pictures on Twitter, and I'm like, Bethany, what's what's Bethany? Like he's being a Bethany jersey. Like I'm trying to follow what's going on, and so I investigate and I read a little bit more. I'm like, oh my goodness. 
this is one heck of a story. And, you know, we don't have hard knocks this year. And I know Bill O'Brien's very happy about that. But hmm. that's the kind of guy I wish would be featured on hard knocks so that people could understand what some of these guys have gone through just to even knock on the door of a dream. Not to, like, you know, get to the J.J. Watt, Deshaun Watson level, but to just walk in an NFL locker room. You know, to be one of the 63 guys, you know, 53 guys on the roster, 10 guys make the practice squad, to be one of those guys that gets a permanent locker in the locker room. And I guarantee, and I will tell you this, Richard, because he, as a trial player, signed a contract, I know the coaching staff really likes him. And I can, I got two eyes, and I've been watching football for a long time, and I'm watching him make plays, and I'm going, that guy right there needs to be part of our practice squad. And if he's not part of our practice squad, it's only because our numbers at receiver are pretty strong, that he'll have an opportunity to be on a practice squad somewhere. But for him to just get to this point right now and come back to his hometown, it, it, it really is it really is an amazing story. And people have asked me about it. I'm like, look, you had DK Metcalf and Demarcus Lodge and AJ Brown. He wasn't about to find a lot of playing time at Ole Miss, but he was very well liked. And guys that have gone through what he's gone through to get to this point, I tip my cap and I just I, I think a guy like that looks at it and says, Okay, it doesn't probably bother him. He's like, okay, I got here. Now what do I have to do to make the squad? He's yeah. not even thinking about it the way that we are. Whereas, dude, thumbs up. Great job. He's thinking about it like, okay, how do I get on a 53? How do I get on a 46 man? And, I, Richard, I've seen it. I've seen guys in the last six years come to Houston. I mean, Chris Thompson from the University of Florida is a great example. He came here. He was a tryout wide receiver, skinnier in a rail, comes in, showed off the speed. And by the end of his rookie year, he was playing key minutes for us because we needed him, and he was crushing it on special teams, and he was a tryout player. I know of at least three guys that we've had tryout players make the 46-man active roster on game day at some point during their years with us. And I've seen probably four or five guys get to the practice squad beyond that. So tryout players like Floyd that have gotten their way into the 90-man roster have impressed the staff enough that they're wanting, they're going to want to keep him around. And look, when you have injuries in training camp, and I've seen him at the receiver position for years, for us, sure. for years, he'll have ample opportunity to get on the field yeah. and show what he can do. And hopefully he'll be able to do that and get at least to the practice squad. John, when you talk about practice squad games, or I'm sorry, not games, practice squad teams, does each team have kind of its own pool of guys that it sticks to, or can you can you get a reputation of your point a second ago? Eh, Texans may not have the numbers to keep another wide receiver around, but somebody else may need one. Is there like a network or kind of a communication that happens among teams, or do teams try to kind of protect their practice squad guys? You you got it. It's that last part. They try and protect their practice squad guys at all costs. You know, especially if it's. I'll give you an example of, of what happened with us last year. We had a receiver by the name of Vincent Smith who played at Limestone College. Now, he probably has the second-best story coming from Limestone College. He's the first guy to make the NFL from Limestone. And for those of you going, wait a second, Limestone? I don't even know where that is. It's in South Carolina, and that was really how he popped on the scene. Well, last year in training camp, you know, we've got Fuller and Hopkins, and we drafted Kiki QT, and we had a couple of the veterans, and it was like, man – it's going to be hard for Vincent to make this roster, but he really should. And so 
we start talking about going to the practice squad. The problem with the practice squad is any team can go to a practice squad. They can look around the league, and every team has 10, 10 guys in the practice squad. Okay. And you can look around and go, you know what? We need a wide receiver. And they could look at us and go, we want him. And they can claim him and put him on their 53-man roster. So we got to a point with Vincent last year where if he ended up on the practice squad, there were multiple teams that were going to be in line to snatch him up. So John, we got less than a minute. Cut, yeah, we, were, we had to cut a couple of veterans and put him on the 53-man roster so some other team didn't snap him up. Because that's what happened to practice squad. So absolutely, teams protect that practice squad at all costs so they don't lose players, so they can get some time to work with them and use it kind of like a redshirt system is what they do. But yeah. NFL teams can go to for them off other practice squads, and that makes it pretty tough. And maybe that happens to Floyd, maybe not, but he'll get an opportunity for sure. I love talking to you because I feel like I learn something every single time we talk. Thanks, John. You're the best, Richard. Take care, buddy. John Harris, Houston Texans, HoustonTexans.com. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter at jharrisfootball. More coming up in the Renaissance Bank studio. Game three, NBA Finals tonight, ABC, 8 o'clock Central Time. Hold on a second. Richard Cross starting a segment with the NBA? On purpose? I wasn't going much farther than that, really. I was just telling you it was on. Well, I got really excited, and then you knocked me down a couple pegs, but I hear you. Guess we'll be watching... As I was saying, Game 3 NBA Finals, Raptors at Warriors, Golden State four-and-a-half-point favorite, series tied at one apiece. I was going to make one observation, though, Borky. Um, It was funny kind of following along on Twitter on Sunday night. I was not watching the game. I was doing baseball stuff still at that point. And so I just had TweetDeck open and I guess Toronto jumped out to an early lead, and there was a question about an Iguodala, uh, Iguodala injury early in the game, and no Kevin Durant, and all this good stuff. And people were like writing the uh, the epitaph. And I just assumed it had really gone off the rails. And I look, I was like, oh, Warriors won. Now it's one one. Now we're headed back to Golden State. Is that kind of how it played out? Basically. The Warriors opened up the second half on an 18 to nothing run, which is kind of what these version of the Warriors do. Like without Kevin Durant, they strike quickly and they just put like they hit you with these devastating blows to where like like Toronto never really recovered from that. Like they kind of did, but not really. And and when the Warriors are playing like that, Toronto can't defend. They can defend. They have good defenders. They can't defend that because nobody in basketball can defend that. Uh, story on ESPN.com from Ramona Shelburne and Adrian Wojnarowski. Golden State officials prefer that guard Clay Thompson sit out Game 3 tonight to protect his sore hamstring for the rest of the finals. Ooh. But Thompson has continued to lobby them to play. Final decision will be made closer to tip-off. Injured his hamstring in the second half of the Warriors' win on Sunday night. Did not come back into the game. MRI revealed a mild strain, officially listed as questionable, game time decision, etc. Steve Kerr says he thinks he'll be ready to go, but as, as I said the other night, Clay is always going to say he's ready to go. 
What we'll have to determine is, is that a risk? If he plays, are we risking anything? So, stay tuned. You would think it'd be smart to try to win the game without him, right? I mean, they're dropping they bodies can. like flies, so maybe that, yeah, like you said, maybe they can't do it, but I'd rather have him for game four, five, six, and seven than risk not having him for well, game four, five, six, and that, seven and have him for three. The thing is that game four is on Friday. If you're not ready to play on Wednesday, you're really going to be ready on Friday? Well, you just took my joke. I was about to say, I mean, they're not going to play game four for another week and a half. Um, no, see, that's actually what's the killer in this because the finals are more spread out. But the three four turnaround is Wednesday to Friday, which is what made the injury so more significant. Because like, if it had been serious and he couldn't go in either, like, Toronto's probably winning the whole thing. Yeah. See, NBA is interesting if you give it a shot. I've he, never he looks fascinating. I, I've never questioned whether or not it's interesting. Hey, Dad, I, I don't know. Does this make any sense? Like. I'm sitting at a, like there's a sports buffet, but I've only got a plate that's so big. And you can pile stuff on top of your plate, but I'm not like a really, like a pile my plate six inches high at a buffet guy. I'm like, I'm going to fill my plate up. Well, that's a you problem. And I got college football, I got college basketball, and I got college baseball, and a little bit of NFL, and a lot of Major League Baseball, and just a little bit of NBA I don't have room for that. Do you have to pick and choose, or can you just be a fan of all of it? You can pick and choose. You don't have to be a fan of everything. You know? And if you just want a little taste of uh, of the NBA on your plate, then by God, you're allowed to have that. Yeah, but if you pick college basketball, then you picked meatloaf over prime rib. Fact. Yes, that is that is absolutely a fact. And you know what? Meatloaf pays me. <laughs> Prime rib doesn't. So I'm going to eat the heck out of that meatloaf. Meatloaf is delicious. But I like Don't both, but given a wrong. choice. The NBA does not compensate me for anything. That makes two of us. Part of my living comes from college basketball. Part of my ability to feed my own children meatloaf or prime rib comes from being locked into college basketball. Yeah, but I feel I got a feeling you're more of a college guy, even if you didn't work it. Yeah, I probably like, am. Uh, that's that's fair. Dick from State Farm coming home after your nine to five or whatever. Like you're watching college over NBA. Yeah, fair enough. It's a mark of a crazy person. No, it's not. It it's just different tastes. Yeah, and what do you, by the way, uh, are the got, athletes better in the NBA? Of course they are. I like the atmosphere better in a college game. It's significantly better tenfold in the college game. I, like I, I dig on that. That is my answer to all of this. Okay. He's fired. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't hate soccer. I'll watch the World Cup. I don't understand it. I will never watch any sort of other kind of soccer. You don't under- MLS Soccer is, is the simplest sport to learn, though. It's yeah. a ball, and you kick it, and if it goes in the goal, then you get a point. Then how yeah, is it? Yeah, but hold on now. Yeah, how is it covered so closely? Ooh, how is it like? How is it such like crazed year round? Like if that's all it is, then it, the, the, I've always playing been baffled. soccer is easy. Understanding soccer and its fan bases is difficult. I've always been fascinated by that though because it is. 
a very simplistic sport. Yes, yes, there are good but coaches, Borky, there are bad coaches. But, Borky, isn't that like saying – now, we're golf guys, right? But isn't that like saying, oh, there's nothing to golf. It's just about getting the ball in the hole. I mean, yeah, at the most basic level, yeah, it's just about getting it in the hole. But, but there's a whole lot more to soccer than just depositing it in the right. net. But it as would far be pretty as sweet if it, you stuck bunkers in, like, ponds on a soccer uh, <laughs> pitch. That would be, make it more fun. But he said he didn't understand it. Golf is easy to understand, too. You swing the club, you hit the ball, and try to get it in the hole. Well, no, I, I get soccer. I get you're kicking the ball and trying to score goals. I don't get the strategy and the intricacies of soccer, is my point. It, it is. It's a... There's Very simple. That. There's a lot to it, but it is one of the more simple games. It's a lot simpler than football. That's absolutely for sure. I, I'm. I've always wondered why that that was the game that took over the world because in in all of history, because you don't need any equipment other than a ball. Well, that in the for some of the poorer countries that makes sense, but for That's for where they play the best soccer though. All of society. From the day men started playing sports, you know, thousands of years ago, it was all like the most violent sports are the ones that took. And that's why American football is so popular here. It's the most violent sport. So why is soccer, the least violent sport out there, so popular everywhere else? I've always wondered that. Flopping. It's just easy to grow up playing it. Hey, Dad. How long have you been a, a big soccer fan? Uh, this will be my my fifth year as as a okay really locked so, in soccer fan. Okay, so relatively new. I mean, so so yeah. you and I kind of picked up soccer at about the same time. I'm not a soccer fan from the sense of I'm looking. See, I have a team that I stick with. Like I'm looking for EPL games on the channel guide and can't wait to see what's next in Bundesliga and La Liga and all that good stuff. I don't. I don't. I only keep up with one team and one league. I don't. I don't look at the Bundesliga or the La Liga or League One well, or anything like that. But but here's what I was getting at. Somewhere along the way, and I learned the reason I learned soccer again was professional development. Okay, I mean it was. I, I started broadcasting soccer games on the SEC Network Plus, and I felt like I needed to learn the game. Yeah. Oh, but, but I did. How did you do that? I, I kind of eased into it, and. The soccer coaches at Ole Miss were really helpful. Matt Mott and Rob and those guys kind of helped me understand what I was looking for. So it was learn the terminology so you don't sound like an idiot, and then don't try to be too much. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. Like, I'm not a soccer aficionado. I I know the game better now. I didn't know it out of the gate. I was trying to pronounce names correctly and not butcher offside which is better than saying offsides because it's not a thing. That's right, it's offside. The point I was going to make in all of that was somewhere along the way, and as I understand it, this is the way soccer people watch the game, I started seeing the game and movements in shapes yes. as opposed to just people running around. Yeah. And it was about middle of the way through the second year of watching it and learning how to watch the game, and that's when it changed for me. All of a sudden, it starts to look like an art form as opposed to just running around kicking the ball. Right. I'm still in the latter stage. Did you ever have a point where where it, the game started looking like that to you, hey, Dad? It's going to sound weird. When I started playing FIFA on, on the PlayStation and started having to really look at the strategy to play the game, that's when I started really understanding more about the game. 
Hmm. It's a wildly popular video game. It has contributed to the popularity of soccer. Yeah. No question. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Coming up next...
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.